Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. My name is Jesse Fritz. If you are new here to the podcast, welcome, and I hope that you are excited for today's episode. So today's episode is with Sarah Burnesh, and we chat all about nutrition, weight loss, weight gain, diet culture, and intuitive eating. So this is always a topic that's our, that's very interesting for me to talk about. I have a lot of problems with body image, with diet culture, with dieting, uh, disordered eating, all of those kinds of things. And in fact, actually, if you're following me um, on Instagram, I actually kind of went off on a tangent about this the other day about like dieting, weight gain, uh, bullies online. So online trolls and just bullies in general, people who sit behind a keyboard and won't say something to your face. And I actually had a troll recently who, and by troll, if you don't know what troll means on the internet, it basically just means like an online bully. I'm not actually calling someone a troll, (laughs) but so this person basically called me out on one of my videos, just saying that, um, my, just attacking my weight gain with my Hashimoto's. So any of us with chronic illness who deal with, uh, changes to our body that sometimes we don't have any control over. It was kind of difficult to hear, especially because I felt like the person was just being mean. They weren't actually trying to give any constructive feedback. And why I bring that up is because I think it kind of primed me for today's episode where we talked about diet culture, where we talked about um, societal norms around dieting and uh, body image and weight gain and things like that. So In today's episode, we kind of talked about Sarah's story with weight gain, with um, body image, with diet culture, all of that stuff and the bullying that she received and how that kind of pushed her into her nutrition and intuitive eating counseling services. And now she's actually wrote a book called Enjoy It All, all about intuitive eating. And um, it actually comes out on September 22nd, 2020. So if you're listening to this a little bit later, it's probably already out, but I do have links in the blog post where you can uh, pre-order it or just order it if you're interested. So today's episode was a really good one. I really loved talking to Sarah, learning about her perspective, talking about um, body neutrality, body love versus body positivity, talking about diet culture when it comes to our kids, things like that. So I think that you guys are going to love this episode. So if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to the Chronically Healing Podcast. It's completely free, but it helps make sure that this podcast is seen in everybody else's um, podcast network and it's how we grow. So make sure that you head over and do that. But without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. Today on the show, I have Sarah Burnesh. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, So I'm excited to jump right in. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what we're, what we should, sorry, I just screwed up for a second. (laughs) Um, Cool. So why don't we jump right in and why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about you? Yeah. So I'm based out of Toronto, Ontario in Canada. Mm -hmm. I'm an intuitive eating counselor and a registered holistic nutritionist. And I specialize in working with folks on disordered eating and body image. So that's the main crux of what I do. Mm -hmm. How did you get into that? Yeah, so this is the long story. (laughs) 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 So initially, like, like so many women, like so many people in general, 
I went through my own long uh, history with disordered eating, which I really feel like culminated in an eating disorder later on. So I went on my first diet when I was 14 or 15 years old. I gained a lot of weight in puberty as you do and, or as many of us do anyways. And, uh, it was such a source of contention. It was a, a site of shame for me. I was bullied repeatedly. And so I sort of just weight cycled and diet cycled for years. And it really culminated when I moved from my small town to a big city. And of course, all of the anxiety and these overwhelming feelings that I was beginning to experience um, really led me to double down on my relationship with food and body. And uh, in that way, I mean, on the rules and not on the restriction. Mm-hmm. And I enrolled in nutrition school in part because I had this interest in food and writing, which I really feel is inherent to me. And on the other hand, enrolled in it because I felt like this was my way of finding the secret that if I became more knowledgeable in the realm of nutrition, that I could somehow achieve this ideal body size, which I don't even really know if I had a a concrete idea of what that actually was. Mm-hmm. And so I enrolled in nutrition school and then pursued that and eventually went into private practice, working for gyms, doing corporate wellness and a whole host of things and uh, slowly began to recover because I kind of had to. Um, I started binge eating and just eating in ways that were outside of my control. And so the restriction that was part and parcel of my younger days just really wasn't something I can, I could continue doing. I just really hit diet bottom. I hit like, you know, this place where I just could not maintain that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I, I started eating more food and eating more regularly, still pretty disordered, but my intake was a lot better. And at some point I was doing a corporate talk and one of the audience members asked me, she said, you know, I really enjoy eating fruit on the bottom yogurt for breakfast. Um, is that so bad? Because at the time I was very much like, don't eat sugar. Um, like, you know, restrict all of these foods. And I just thought, you know, like, no, it's not like, if that's something that you really enjoy, that gives you pleasure. And also it's like, it's yogurt. Um, you know, like what's the big deal. And I kind of, that was the moment if I had to pinpoint it, that was the moment where I was like, I cannot do this work anymore the way I've been doing it. And because I've been making a living that way, such as it was, um, that was really challenging for me of like, I did a total 180 in my practice, but around that same time I found intuitive eating and really fell in love with it and was very ready for it. And from then, then on, you know, started to do my own work in that area and became certified. And so then that was really how I got into this work. Got it. I love that story. I think a lot of people can connect with that, at least pieces of it. I know that I can as well. Like, so I think something that's interesting um, for me and for, for others listening that have dealt with chronic health issues too. So for Mm -hmm. me, I deal with a thyroid issue. And um, unfortunately, one of the side effects of that is weight gain. But one of the things growing up was I put so much um, focus and pressure on being thin, kind of like what you're saying, like the bullying and things that go along with that. And I think just people in general, especially women kind of deal 
deal with this bullying, even if it's like internal bullying, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like these pressures that we feel that we have to look a certain way. And there's so, so many different types of disordered eating patterns that I feel like anytime I talk to a woman on this podcast, um, they've gone through something like that. Yeah, I hear that for sure. It seems like almost all of us have a story that resembles that around, like it's, you know, things feeling out of control or feeling like we needed to change something, Mm -hmm. this feeling of I'm too much and I'm not enough at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think too, so one thing just personally, like, and like I said, with other people that I've talked to on this podcast before who have dealt with chronic health issues is we tend to um, have to go through these very strict diets for our health, Mm -hmm. for trying to get, you know, these like autoimmune protocol diets or like SIBO diets or uh, candida diets, all these different things. And I think when you're in a space, I think it's maybe a little bit easier for people to jump into those diets when they're in a good headspace around dieting. But I noticed mm-hmm. for myself and other women that I've talked to, um, it it's terrifying to go into when you know that you've had disordered eating patterns in the past to like have to go into another strict disordered eating, or uh, I shouldn't say that, a strict diet, it can be really scary. But then on the other side of that, when you've been on these strict health diets, it can be really scary coming out of that on the other end and trying to get into intuitive eating. So obviously like health aside, um, or not health aside, like illness aside, what is intuitive eating and how does someone even get onto that path? Because I think when you've been focused on dieting for so long, um, the idea of intuitive eating sounds awesome, but it's really hard to kind of get your mind wrapped around it. Yeah, hundred percent. That's such a great question. Um, I think, so illness aside, how do we get into intuitive eating and what is intuitive eating? Mm -hmm. So I would say that intuitive eating is a modality it's been around since the 90s. There were several branches of like a non-diet approach that were sort of, you know, ruffling in the distance, but it was really Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, two dietitians out of California, who put together this groundbreaking work called intuitive eating. And that's kind of how it got started. So it's a modality with 10 principles that are there to help folks make peace with food and body. Mm. Those 10 principles um, have, I mean, there, those 10 principles help people to have a different kind of relationship with food. And though they don't necessarily need to be taken in a linear way, um, I do find it helps to go through them that way. Um, and then the second part of it is that there's a, you know, a validated assessment scale. There's over 120 studies from my understanding, um, validating the efficacy of intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that has been around for a really long time um, and something that has a lot of evidence behind it. And mm-hmm. so I do see like a lot of folks thinking that it is new and though it's becoming a lot more mainstream and trendy right now. Um, it's certainly, it's certainly not that, not case. Mm-hmm. And then as far as like, how do we get started on something that does feel so very overwhelming mm-hmm. when for most of us, if not, you know, almost all of us, Diet culture is so completely embedded. The beliefs about weight and worth are very embedded. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I usually help people to get started is first and foremost, making sure the basics are being met as in um, eating is adequate, consistent, regular, 
that sleep is happening to the best of someone's ability. Um, insomnia is not an easy thing to remedy. If anyone's ever experienced it, it's like, it can be a very um, long-term project. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting sleep on board, helping someone to go through their closet potentially and making sure that they only have things in there that fit most of the time. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you're contending with bloating, that's, that can be challenging too. Mm-hmm. Um, working through, like, sometimes we talk about spirituality, we talk about self-care practices and strategies and kind of getting the basics going. So that at first and foremost, we're coming from a place of care over control. Mm. And then following that, I think it's really normal to have one foot in diet culture or one foot in a really restrictive um, eating protocol if you're coming from that place. Mm -hmm. And then one foot over here in intuitive eating and wanting to learn that. And so I think like from a very, in a very preliminary way, I start by just outlining, like, what are your current beliefs about food? Where is the restriction currently showing up? What's, what are the physical forms of restriction, the psychological forms of restriction and some of the restrictive behaviors? And can we get that just starting there just to outline what exactly is your current eating experience, your current relationship with food and body, and then moving someone from there but it really is the work is very subtle and mm-hmm. there's like baby steps for sure. Because it's idea of like yesterday I was dieting and today I'm not dieting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just not something that exists. And so this is where there's so much space for self-compassion and for a lot of self-kindness in here of knowing that we are going along a scenic route. This is a practice. It's not a destination mm-hmm. and that we're just going to take it bit by bit in the, in the, in the ways that you have capacity for, Mm -hmm. um, and see kind of where we end up. Yeah. It's as you were talking, I was just nodding because there's so, there's so many things that I personally can attest to. And I have felt even like what you said about making sure you only have clothing in your closet that fits. I'm definitely, there's like a few dresses in there that I'm like, please someday (laughs) will you get, um, but really when I think about the actual, like outline of it, when I look at that dress, I feel sad that it still doesn't fit rather than just, you know, going and buying a dress that would fit me right now that I would feel just as happy about. So I love those, like those steps that make sense. Yeah. And like really validating too, you know, like it's, it is really sad to give up the things that we love, or if there's a dress that you loved wearing, it is sad when it doesn't fit. And -hmm. it's okay to have those feelings too, that it's okay, you know, that you can embrace your changing body and work towards body acceptance and also feel tremendous grief and sadness around the the things that maybe are not part of that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think really validating that can be helpful too, that your feelings really do matter. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this kind of rolls into, I saw this on one of your social media posts from earlier this year about um, you, that you don't have to lust over your body in order to love it. And it also kind of reminds me of like something that my therapist said, you know, we're going through like some body image issues and, and things that I'm dealing with. And she's like, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to jump straight to positivity, body positivity. She's like, but can we, can we jump to body neutrality or body Mm -hmm. acceptance? Um, And instead of, you know, the only worth that I think I have comes from the way that I look or how productive I am instead Mm -hmm. looking at it from an entirely different, different angle. So I really love that the, you don't have to lust over your body um, in order to love it. Yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, and I, I agree with that too. Like, I think there is so much pressure on women to love our bodies or to have to, to view our bodies as like attractive. Mm-hmm. And what my supervisor has so brilliantly asked me before, she said, you know, when you are, when you're looking to be attractive, what is it that you're looking to attract? Mm-hmm. And that's, that was so, that, that was mind opening for me of like, what is it that we are looking to bring into our world and to magnetize to us? And if we are so caught up on what I look like and having to look a certain way, um, what exactly, what is the, what is the end goal to all of that? What do I really want in my life? And if the goal is like, I want people in my life who love me no matter what, let's say, or who don't, who don't judge me based on the way that I look, Mm -hmm. um, is this an alignment? And so always thinking about it in that kind of way too, I think can be really helpful. Yeah. And then too, I know that there's this space within intuitive eating and um, maybe even just without intuitive eating, but kind of this safe zone where your body, like the weight that your natural body feels best at. Is that something that you, that you kind of drive with as well? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things about health at every size that I think gets misunderstood so often is that it's taken to mean people are healthy at any size Mm -hmm. and that's certainly, that's certainly not necessarily true. Um, it's more that health is, you know, that body size is not an indicator of health status. Mm. And so really what we're looking at is everyone has uh, a natural weight as far as I know, as far as, you know, the research I've done. So we have a, a place where we feel our best or our bodies naturally do want to be at. Sometimes we will go below and above that place, mm-hmm. just kind of depending on all kinds of factors. Mm-hmm. And so I do believe that there is a place where we feel our best and also know, like just noting that that's probably not a, a specific weight. I think when people think about weight, they think about themselves, like, you know, this specific number yeah. and that, that place is a range. Mm-hmm. And for some people it's a quite significant range, again, depending on all kinds of factors. But I do believe that when we are, that we will get to that place when mm-hmm. we are, you know, moving or not in ways that feel sustainable, enjoyable for us mm-hmm. when we are eating in ways that are supportive. And by that, I mean foods that honor our, our need for play and pleasure, as well as the need for, you know, basic functioning. Mm-hmm. And when we're sleeping correctly, when we have, you know, um, really fulfilling relationships in our lives, when we're involved in meaningful work. I mean, all of these things really play into one another. And so I do think it's a place that we will arrive at when we have hit some, some semblance of, you know, work of like balance, I guess, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. Yeah. I was going to, to ask you that just in the realm of like, how do you even, if you, if you're not used to being intuitive with yourself, even just in general, or really listening to yourself. I feel like Mm. there's plenty of times in my past where I could have been like, I'm definitely not within my natural body, or it doesn't feel natural to me, but really it was just me being overly critical versus Mm -hmm. like now that I've, I've gotten to a point where I'm a little bit more, um, intuitive with myself. I know that I'm kind of outside of that, that comfortable zone for my body, but I'm trying to, to be like really careful and kind about it rather than just like, you know, cutting all my calories and, and, um, Mm -hmm. and things like that. But like, how do you, how do you even 
start for someone that's like, I don't even know, <laughs> I don't even know what to do. So like you said, some of what you said was just like making sure that you're, that you're in a state of balance really helps, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to some, some, to the best of your ability, like yeah. balance is one of those things. I think we're always searching for it, never yeah. quite finding it, but you know, but like overall, um, in a place that feels supportive to us, maybe that's a, a word that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, how do we find, like, where do we even start when it comes to weight? When is that the question? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like, if you're not sure what your natural weight is and you're still in that restrictive place of like, I'm just being critical of my body. Um, I think one thing is to start at the beginning again of like making sure you are eating enough, yeah. um, making sure that that is being met. Um, and then you can get a better sense as you go along. Natural weight is something that you may not know for, it could be six months. It could be a couple of years. It could take mm-hmm. some time for your body to regulate, especially if you have been dieting for a very long time. Yeah. Um, that part of the dieting cycle, which, you know, no one really ever tells us is that following that period of restriction and deprivation, there's likely to be the opposite, you know, the opposite end of the wheel which is the opposite of the road or whatever metaphor you want to use in that you will feel probably somewhat out of control around food. You probably will be eating foods that you've deprived yourself of. Um, That's part of the dieting cycle. And that's not necessarily part of intuitive eating. This is like part of restriction and the results of deprivation. And so we're going through all of that. And then we can talk about weight, but with intuitive eating, there's a reason why we suggest that folks shelve the weight question to the best mm. of their ability. And it's because we really will not know for a while. And focusing on weight really prevents the process from really, you know, working for lack of a better term, um, mm. for you to be able to move through the diet mentality and start to reject it. We really need to put weight off to the side and then we'll see how things fly as we go along. Um, that's kind of the deal with that. Yeah. And it's with all of this, it's kind of getting into a space of self-compassion and just like Mm -hmm. understanding that, that you're kind of trying to break through these norms that you've known your whole life. And it's going to take a little bit to, you know, to get outside of that and to start thinking about your body and the way that you eat and the way that you live a little bit differently. So um, that compassion is really important, I'm sure. Yeah, the self-compassion is a huge part of the work that I do. And I think using it to reprogram some of our beliefs and the narratives around body and food is absolutely key to Mm -hmm. incorporating intuitive eating into our lives. Um, And then I also think there's space to acknowledge how how traumatic diet culture is, how Mm -hmm. traumatic it can be to live under those rules um, that we are, you know, to be dieting is to be semi-starving yourself um, in many cases. And so acknowledging all of that and that it's going to take time to reprogram some of these beliefs. And that of course, you're going to feel scared to let go of your food rules. Of course, you're going to be afraid of weight gain when viewed through the lens of anxiety when you, you know, you feel so profoundly unsafe around food and body, um, then of course it's going to feel that way. And as safety gets built into it, as you start to feel better around food and bodies, as you start to realize, Hey, you know, I can kind of eat what I want and the world did not end. Mm -hmm. I can gain weight and the world did not end. 
I'm still here. I, I'm still surrounded by loved ones, hopefully. Um, you know, I still have the hobbies and interests I had before, if not more. I still have all of these things in place. And to notice that truly, I think, is really remarkable. So holding space for that, that of course, it's going to feel this way, but it may not always feel this way. Mm-hmm. So how do you work with people in this space? Yeah, so generally, I mean, I use intuitive eating mm-hmm. in a different kind of way. I know there's a number of intuitive eating coaches who will walk folks through principle by principle mm-hmm. and do it that way. Um, sometimes with the workbook, I use it as a back pocket in a back pocket kind of way mm-hmm. that I am familiar enough with the principles and with the foundational, you know, the core core beliefs that what I do is weave that with self-compassion, self-care. Um, I also use like some therapeutic modalities to help people, but really my goal is to come to session to listen to the goals of the person in front of me. What is it that they hope to achieve or what's really not working for them right now? And what do they envision for themselves? And how can we work together to make that possible? And so intuitive eating is just one of the multiple tools that I use in my practice to help people to make peace with food and body. Um, And so that's sort of how it works. Mm -hmm. I have my own framework that I use informally with folks, which is number one, to legalize food. So that's, Mm -hmm. that incorporates several of the principles right there, but legalizing food. Um, Secondly is talking more about the emotional components that are underneath. Mm -hmm. So yes, emotional eating, um, fullness and what that brings that for people, just a number of those like tricky spots. Yeah. And then we go into what I call pleasurable eating, which is you know, that is gentle nutrition because pleasurable eating is eating that feels good to us. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think about when I think about good nutrition is like eating in a way that feels good. Um, whether that's having ice cream, because that's an enjoyable experience and it offers something, you know, to me, it makes my life better. Or maybe it's about having a salad because that feels good. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really about feel good eating and really prioritizing pleasure. And then we move more into um, healing body image and really going to the systemic roots of diet culture and the social justice issues, which really underpin it. And then I move people through that if there's interest there, right? Like I'm really passionate about it, but I understand that's not something everyone is in a place um, to learn about. And so I try to be um, really mindful of that as well, but it's probably going to come up at some point or another because it's really tough to talk about diet culture mm-hmm. and, um, and everything that that entails and to not talk about the systemic concerns. Yeah, that actually brings up a random question for me. I've, I've thought about this before um, with like just diet culture and, and the way that we're brought up thinking, especially as women, what are some of the, like, I don't know, the common pieces that happen in diet culture that if, you know, someone is in the range of wanting to have a child at some point and they want to raise their daughter in a way where she isn't put through the same type of diet culture um, or the just, what are some of those things that are said or, or ways that you could position things with your daughter to, to show her that not everything revolves around your body. Kind of a random question, but it just yeah in my head when you were talking about. Yeah, that. I love it. I love it. Um, this is a really good question. 
Um, I will say, I think there are some folks that might be in a better position to answer it, but I'll, I'll try to do my best. Sure. And so what I would say is that we are, most of us, um, are born intuitive eaters. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we'll notice like the child who leaves like half a cookie on their plate or something because they're done and we're sort of shocked by that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really about fostering that from a very young age of like your child, tra- you, you know, your child probably does know best in mm-hmm. most cases. And when fully allowed to have whatever the child wants, they will eat a variety of foods. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one thing to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. And that if a child really is hungry, they will reach out and ask for something. So that's another. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with folks on their own relationships with food, and then we've worked together to support their children, mm-hmm. um, sort of in an you know, adjacent kind of way. And what they've, they're always surprised to find is like when they talk to their child and they're like, hey, are you hungry? Yes. Like, how hungry are you? And really asking these questions. Mm. Um, one, you're really building this lovely relationship with your child and helping them to trust their body and to connect with their body by even asking that question of like, are you hungry? What are you hungry for? Mm. How hungry are you? And they're surprised when their child will say, you know, I just really want an apple right now, or Mm. I had the apple and I'm still hungry. Maybe I want some of this. Mm -hmm. And so it's really helping to instill the trust in children and to help them to connect with their body from a very young age mm-hmm. and then, and showing respect. So when a child says, you know, I do not want that broccoli, which sometimes happens, like there'll be, um, there'll be like a, a point in time when some foods, like the child is trying to, I'm going to get this wrong, but trying to rebel or trying to assert autonomy mm-hmm. at some age. And so they might say like, I don't want that broccoli and kind of respecting that because that's maybe potentially one of that child's first instances where they are saying like, I don't want that in my body. Mm-hmm. Like I do not want, I do not want this. And so by saying like, okay, that's no problem. And allowing that to pass one, you're showing them that their body is something to be respected and consent is important. Mm-hmm. And also down the line, they're probably going to go back to that food because we didn't make a big deal out of it. But the moment yeah. you put so much pressure on that child to like that food or to consume it, mm-hmm. then we're creating a different kind of relationship. So I think that's one, you know, this is a big one, but I think that's one thing that can be done from my, from a very young age is trusting children when they say something of really fostering a relationship um, with the body and with hunger and fullness and with foods from a young age Um, and also taking the focus off body by complimenting them for other things. Like you did so well in school today, or you're so kind, or you're such a thoughtful kid, right. Are really valuable compliments, really meaningful too, and have nothing to do with the way the body looks. Yeah. Yeah. I love those that I was just curious about that. I've thought about that for myself having, you know, being 32 and having so many body image issues the the terror I feel sometimes of like having a daughter in the future um, and making, yeah. you know, not wanting them to, to grow up having some of the same um, like self-worth issues is, is mm-hmm. interesting. But I love, I love those ideas. And I love the thought of just like really helping foster that, um, that really being able to listen to your body and trust your body. And obviously there's, there's times where you may have to step in, but at the same time, um, showing them that they can trust that and that no food Mm -hmm. is scary or bad or whatever forced. So that's, that's right. 
Yeah. And I mean, we also know from the research that when children are exposed, when they receive pleasure messages around food, as opposed to health oriented ones, they actually make more health oriented decisions automatically, which is really, really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So they know. They know. <laughs> they know. They, know. they, they have they know the 411. Yeah. You just have to give them the space for it. Um, what, so with that, what are some of like your favorite, we've kind of been talking about like how you help people and things like that, but what are some of your favorite rituals and routines that keep you healthy and happy that, that have really kept you in a good zone? Oh, I love that question. Um, I think for one thing, um, what's been really important to me is going to bed early um, so that I can get up and have space and don't have to rush. That's less related to food and body, but yeah. certainly a part of self-care. Mm-hmm. That when I have, I love being able to get up early and make like a cappuccino mm-hmm. and just sit there and be in the moment. And that really grounds me for the day. So that's one of my favorite and non-negotiable practices. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have very many non-negotiable practices, but that happens to be one. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) I also think like staying hydrated has been really helpful. Um, making sure that I build in enough fun, like so many, you know, former dieters or dieters in general, like I love to work. I work very hard. Um, I always think about, you know, what I should be doing. And so I actually have to be super intentional about, like where is play showing up for me? What sort of fun am I doing right now? And to really build that in because I do find it so important to have enough pleasure of like what foods are bringing me pleasure right now. Um, do I like the way that I'm eating? Do I like the foods that I'm eating or is this just something that I'm defaulting to? Mm -hmm. So I really try to think about that. And then I also like to move, but in ways that are pleasurable. So I have a mini trampoline and I, Mm. I love to, do that. <laughs> yeah. I love, my, I love my trampoline. Yeah. I love that. I love the, like, I feel like play is not something that, that I even think about or I, cause I ask similar questions to other guests sometimes. And, um, I feel like sometimes we forget about play. A lot of times everybody's like, I meditate and then I journal mm-hmm. for 30 minutes. And then I drink, you know, a glass of lemon water, which is amazing. Those are all good routines. And, and those are the, the rituals that everybody's talking about. But I think remembering to, to add in that play, even if the play, like you said, is kind of like experimenting with food or like trying a new mm-hmm. recipe or, um, I don't know. I'm just thinking my husband and I went, yeah, one of those like golf, like those like fake, what are they called? Like top golf type things the other day and yeah. like, <laughs> random things that I am awful at golf, but it was so much fun and prioritizing yeah. that is really healthy. Yeah. hundred percent. I think it's so easy to make self-care into another chore or turn mm-hmm. it something you need to be doing. And I mean, I'm certainly guilty of that. So I speak from experience, um, but of really figuring out like what would be super enjoyable or like noticing, like maybe my skin is dry and I would like to moisturize. Mm -hmm. Um, but just coming from a place of trying to be as kind to yourself as possible and trying to have fun because, you know, we don't just live in this world to, you know, to do dishes and whatever else. Right. It's like, it's also like, well, like what's actually enjoyable about this and, Sometimes just being able to create space for creativity and fun can be uh, just can just have such a great impact on your health and overall sense of well-being. 
Yes. And I think too, I had um, a coach kind of mention this to me, which I thought was hilarious. She was like, self-care is not something we put on our to-do list, Jesse. Right. <laughs> like, if I looked at your to-do list right now, would it say something like meditate or whatever? And I'm like, yes, yes, it would. <laughs> it definitely would. Like, like you said, it's like, oh, right now my skin feels really dry. It would feel really great to moisturize it. Or I'm going to drink a whole bunch of water because I can just tell that my body needs it. Not like putting right. to-do list, like make sure to do morning skincare routine. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously if there's things that you want to remember, things like that, but but not letting self-care and play become this other, this next thing that you check off your list. Um, mm-hmm. Just going with what feels good in that moment. It could be as, as small as putting oil or um, like cream on your face, like you said, or something as big as, you know, going out and doing something. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't want to like totally jump over this spot. I really want to talk about your book that's coming out. Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit more about it? Yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to, speaking about pleasure. So um, it's called Enjoy It All, mm-hmm. how to improve, like, uh, well, it's improve your health and happiness with intuitive eating. And basically it is, it's an intuitive eating primer in some ways. I know there's already the book out there, so it's not to take away from that, but we basically go through, you know, it's a book about pleasure and about how to get more pleasure. And my argument for why pursuing pleasure is the healthiest way to live, mm-hmm. um, heavily biased, but it basically gives, that's the, the premise. And then I go into some of the reasons why we really struggle with bringing pleasure into, into our lives. I mean, for one thing, there's fat phobia, not to give, you know, the whole everything away, but for one thing, there's fat phobia and diet culture, and that's a big part of it. Yeah. But there's so much more to that too on why we find it so challenging. I mean, I think especially women, mm-hmm. um, why we find it so challenging to have dessert or to honor our, our appetite or to choose, you know, the cheeseburger, for example, over the salad at a restaurant mm-hmm. or why we find it so hard to honor our own needs. I think it's really the question, like, you know, what is going on in our culture that makes it so impossible for us to identify and acknowledge our needs. Mm. And that's, that's a big part of it. Cause when we talk about pleasure, we're talking about desire and for women who are taught, um, that our desirability matters more or is of greater value mm. than our actual desires. Pursuing pleasure is both radical, mm. um, and in so personal. Mm-hmm. And so I think really driving that point home around, of course, it is challenging for so many of us to know what it is that we want or need and to go after it. And this is not something that's specific to diet culture and recovering from diet culture by any, by any means. Um, but it is something that's really, that I think about a lot, actually. And I think it's really important to think about. Mm-hmm. What brought you to writing this book? Was it, was it something that just popped in your head? Have you always wanted to write a book or was it just that you, you know, you've gone through all of this and, and just felt like you needed to share it? Well, I mean, it's like, that's a great question. It's actually two parts. Like I actually, before I went into nutrition, I went to school for creative writing and English literature and yeah, yeah. And so I, I've wanted to write a book in some capacity since I was, 13 years old, I remember saying that to my, one of my teachers that I, I wanted to write a book. And at the time I thought I would write fiction, 
Mm -hmm. Um, that's not how things have turned out, but you know, (laughs) never say never. Um, and then later on, it was really funny as my publisher came to me and kind of proposed that they wanted to, um, they wanted to have a book about intuitive eating. And so they came to me and asked me if I was interested in writing it, um, and writing a book. Mm-hmm. And like two weeks prior to that, like I had a friend ask me, he's like, you know, would you ever write a professional book? And I said, well, no, I have nothing to really add. I don't think I would write a professional book. But then when placed with the opportunity, like <laughs> two weeks later, literally, I was like, well, you know, maybe I could, maybe I have something to say about this. Yeah. And the more and more I delved into it, I was like, I do have something to say about this. And like, what is really thinking about what was unique about my practice and my perspective. And I really think it's that around, um, around joy around the joy of eating. Um, that's something that I think is really missing from a lot of conversations around health, even in the intuitive eating spaces. I think there's room to talk more about pleasure and why pleasure is not anti-health. It's actually ex- intrinsic to health and mm-hmm. to well-being. Yeah. I think I love that so much. I think, um, when, when I think about joy around food, I think about like these quote unquote bad foods that I shouldn't eat very many of instead of like thinking about the whole experience and really all of your life. If we get like really, really big about it of just like pursuing like totally that pleasure and that fun and that love for food, for what you're doing, for who you're with um, is so important to just overall health and happiness in general. I agree. And I think that's also one thing I've really seen, really realized um, in recovering from dieting is that, of course, when we have this dieting history, we assume that the only foods that are really pleasurable, or we naturally associate the foods that are pleasurable with like, you know, with cookies or brownies or maybe sour candy, if you're me, or (laughs) ice cream or cheeseburgers, right? And so we associate with all of these quote unquote bad foods. And the really wonderful thing about intuitive eating is that we're writing the script on all of those foods, but we are also rewriting the script on fruits and vegetables because they have this health halo around them where they're seen as like, you know, these um, foods that we should be eating, but we don't necessarily associate pleasure with broccoli. Mm -hmm. And I think what's lovely about that experience is when all foods are morally neutral, it creates space for forbidden foods to be kind of normal. And it also create space for, you know, foods like broccoli, for example, Mm -hmm. to, to be pleasurable, to be something that we enjoy eating. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about pleasure and foods that feel good, that of course there's going to be, you know, the cookies and brownies and stuff that, that fit under that umbrella. Of course they will. That's totally normal. Mm -hmm. And there might be some other foods too, that we would never associate with bringing us pleasure. But I have found that many people will say, you know, I'm noticing now that these strawberries taste so delicious or that when I really clue into my body, what would really feel good right now is, you know, let me just like a, like a chicken, chicken salad, we'll call it that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's, what's great about it too, is that pleasure can really be anything. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing, nothing becomes like, like this, um, what am I trying to say? Like a a forbidden food or a bad food, but then also on the other end, there isn't this, like, these are the only foods that I can eat because they're the best foods. It's kind of giving it more of that neutrality. That's right. There are no bad foods and there are also no good foods anymore. Mm -hmm. I love that. So if people were interested in kind of tagging along with you and following you, maybe working with you or 
grabbing your book when it comes out here soon, what would be the best way that they could find you? Yeah. So the best way they can find me is at my website, sarahburnash.com. Mm-hmm. And I am an infrequent, but thoughtful Instagram poster, I like to, like to say. So you can find me there at, at Sarah B Nutrition. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, you can find the book at Target, Amazon, um, Indigo, like a, the Indie website, if you want to do that, IndieBound. Um, those are the major ones. And then if you're in Canada, it's also available on Indigo. Awesome. Yeah. I'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes so everybody can find you quickly or your book if they're interested, but is there anything else you would like to tell the listeners of the podcast today? Um, I think, I mean, the thing that always comes to mind is like, be so kind to yourself, Mm -hmm. like really try to be kind to yourself. And that's something I often say to clients and try to say to myself. So if I can leave with one thing, I think it's that is, um, as you're going about your time, um, just treat yourself with so much kindness to the best of your ability because life is hard enough without us being hard on ourselves too. Yeah. I love that. That's a perfect message. I take that to heart as well. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know that all of my listeners are going to love this episode. So thank you so much. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.